There are a million ways to make money in the food service industry. You just have to find one. On the Titans of Food Service podcast, I interview real life movers and shakers in the food game who cut through all the noise to get to the top. My name is Nick Portillo and welcome to the Titans of Food Service podcast. Let's jump right into it. Welcome back to another episode of Titans of Food Service, where we delve deep into the world of food service, having the conversations around innovation, creativity, and empowering stories with the movers and shakers who have made it to the top. I'm your host, Nick Portillo, and today I have a special guest who is an industry trailblazer and has scaled the heights of the food service world. My guest today is none other than Scott Thomas, a visionary leader who began his remarkable career in food service as a division manager for Schwann's. Through sheer determination, unwavering dedication, and a passion for the food service industry, Scott charted a path that led him to the pinnacle of success. Starting out as a division manager, Scott quickly fell in love with food service sales. He would spend six weeks at a time in a single market seeing customers and building new business. Now today, Scott stands as the chief revenue officer of Bongard's Creameries, a role that reflects his extraordinary journey and unwavering dedication to the food service industry. His story is a testament to the power of perseverance, leadership, and a deep-rooted love for what he does. Throughout this episode, we'll unravel the insights, experiences, and valuable lessons Scott has gathered during his tenure. From the challenges he conquered to the innovations he championed, we'll gain an insider's perspective on the ever-evolving landscape of food service. So, whether you're a seasoned professional in the food service industry, or heck, maybe it's just your very first day selling food, prepare to be captivated by Scott's incredible journey. Join us as we jump into the mind of a true titan of food service, exploring the flavors, the strategies, and the stories that have shaped his remarkable career. Get ready for a feast of insights, a symphony of success, and a journey that exemplifies the spirit of the food service industry. Ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, let's welcome Scott to the Titans of Food Service podcast. Okay, Scott, welcome to the Titans of Food Service podcast. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to meet with me. Well, I appreciate it, Nick. Uh, I've been looking forward to this ever since you sent me the invite and, uh, uh, it's fun to see the new trails that you're you're blazing out there in this industry. So looking forward to it. Yeah. And anybody who knows Scott knows that he just he brings so much passion and enthusiasm. And this is going to be a fun conversation. I can already feel it. <laughs> What's not to love about the food industry? I, I, I love it. It's great. It's kind of <laughs> like your dad. I can see his passion and it's obviously gotten brought down to you, but it, it's such a fun industry. It really is. How did you get into it? Yeah, so I went to school at uh, a state university here in Minnesota and uh, graduated with a business degree and international uh, degree as well. And uh, just through networking, I had a friend that was uh, doing marketing at Schwann's. They said, hey, they're looking for salespeople. So I interviewed with them. And uh, long story short, I started out my food service career with the Schwann's company based right here in Minnesota. Nice. And what was... I guess, what was your first position when you were at Schwann's? Yeah, they have this terminology that I don't know if it's still used in the industry because I know Schwann's was sold, but they use this term strike force. And mm. so you basically loaded up your car, your suitcase, every possession that I had, and you would travel across the United States supporting the broker network, which is kind of like you and your dad. 
And yeah. uh, they'd pick a market. There was typically a region manager within that market managing four or five states and a distributor and all that stuff. And you would go work those markets for six weeks and then they'd fly you home every six weeks if you so choose. <laughs> uh, but yeah, you lived out of a suitcase and you travel. And, and I wouldn't have it any other way, you know, looking back 35 years, Nick, to be able at least being then single in the food industry, traveling the United States on somebody's dime, I mean, and, and learning it, it was, it was fun. I, it's it's kind of old school, but what a way to learn the industry. Wait, so you would, let's say you, you came out to Orange County, California, you would stay here for six weeks and just make calls here with the brokers? Yeah, pretty much. Uh, so you'd have a, t- you know, a region manager, which is still today in, in today's environment, most manufacturers when they have region managers are managing four or five states. So I'd come out and work with Food Sales East, your dad or whatever for, I'd be in Southern Cal for three, four weeks, setting up, you know, broker ride widths back then, right, you know, MA ride widths, DSRs, whatever they're calling them these days, um, <laughs> and just blaze the trail and educating them. I worked for a frozen pasta division within Schwann's. So we were manufacturing like tortellini, manicotti, stuffed shells, those type of things. And, and just, you know, driving it through a pull through strategy. So that, that, and then, like you said, you didn't have to, but to help keep their sanity, Every six weeks, if you wanted to go back to home, you could go home and see mom or dad or your girlfriend or whatever. But that that was the deal. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. So when you were coming out of college, did you did you always have your sights set on the food service industry? No, I just fell into that. I mean, I count my blessings. So I, I knew I was extroverted, loved dealing with people. Uh, so I knew I was obviously a sales-driven candidate. And, you know, just by chance, by having a friend, you know, getting me into the food industry. And here we are almost 35 late years later. And, and I wouldn't have it any other way, Nick. I mean, the people are passionate. They're, they're down to earth people. Uh, I love the food service side a little more in the retail because it's still, mm-hmm. still so fragmented. Uh, whereas on the retail, as you know, you got Safeway, Albertsons, Walmart, you can almost count them on your hands. Whereas food service, it's, I just get a little more enjoyment out of that segment. You must have a, a a story or two that you can remember that was uh, that's stuck in your memory from your time at Schwann's going on those road trips. Oh my God, there is, but I don't think I can say it on a podcast. <laughs> 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 my closest friends have heard some of those stories, and maybe over a beer, oh. Nick, I could tell you one of those stories. <laughs> yeah. But um, it, what about this? Like, what about a time maybe early on in your career where you got an objection? You know, when you're trying to sell your product, and how you overcame that objection. Yeah, well, that back in the old days, you know, that's probably fairly common because just fast forward 35 years, technology on, you know, back then, you know, we'd be driving, you know, to work with an MA, I'd have to pull into a Marriott and find 30 food, you know, phone banks, which you don't see anymore, right? Right. You know, so all of this has changed. And so, um, but we'd we'd get a ton of uh, objections. And one of the unique things about Schwann selling frozen pasta was, is we would carry along, and this actually is a good story, so I'm glad you rephrased it that way. You remember the old Fry Daddies? You know, no. I, I don't know if they still make them, but basically yeah. it's a little like a crock pot, and you plug it in, and you you, you put oil in it, and you can French, you know, uh, you know, boil or you know, deep fry French fries. Well, we modified that and put a grate in it, so you'd put water in it, and you'd plug it in, and then so long story short, when you get in these objection objections. We'd have this little briefcase we'd carry with. It's got this little portable fry daddy in it. And so you'd plug it in, you fill it up with water, it starts boiling, and we would boil the ravioli because, you know, it's par cooked. So you'd boil the ravioli and the tortellini. And seriously, once you put it in their mouth, Nick, 
you didn't really, it was so easy to sell because it's creamy. Yeah. It was very good. So, so overcoming objectives, uh, objections at a young age was pretty easy because the product was so good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then how, how would you get it? How would you notify a distributor? Let's say you're in town. Would you have to rely on the broker to have the, the relationship with the distributor? Yeah, because, you know, some things don't change, Nick. You know, yeah. you know, back then, they, you know, the distributors had their own private label and, they, you know, they're incentivized more for that. There's probably more, you know, earned income in that, if you want to call it that. So, um, you know, so we were always, always dealing with that. But we would rely on the broker to set that up. And we really had a pull through strategy. You know, it's kind of an unknown name. You know, Schwann's was known for Tony's Pizza, Red Baron Pizza. We carved out 15,000 square feet in one of our pizza plants to start making frozen pasta. We didn't know if it was going to be successful or not. And so, and so, yeah, so we, so that, that's how it got started out. And we would really find the end users, as you know, this as a broker, especially if mm -hmm. you're kind of pioneering a line, we would find the, you know, 10, 20, 30 unit chains, pizza chains that would buy in Manicotti. And really force it into a, a, a broadline distributor. So yeah, I, basic blo uh, blocking and tackling. Yeah, which is still here, thirty-five years later, still a almost similar strategy, right? <laughs> Isn't that crazy? There's so many other industries where technology like just takes over, and but but this is definitely a relationship business. Yeah, uh, you know, seeing people face to face, it's, it's a little bit easier to do it via you know Zoom or Teams nowadays. But yeah. it's still a people business. Yeah, and and that's what I love about it. We, I had many calls today with some big customers, uh, some challenging one, and 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 the conversation that ended at the day was, you know, you want to do business with the people you know, yeah. and yeah, we all realize in today's competitive environment, yeah, you have to compete, but you know what's going to set you apart? That service level, the attention to detail. You know, and all things equal, Nick, it's that relationship. If you know, if I like Nick and I like your dad, John, I want to do business with you. And sure. and that's what's so rewarding about the food service industry. Yeah, absolutely. When you were done with Schwann's, where did you go from there? Yeah, so now you're really again 35 years of, of memory. So I actually went to it's funny, it's the old beef and pork division of Tyson. It was called Gorgeous mm. Quick to Fix Foods. And that was back when Tyson wanted to be everything to everybody. And so they started buying beef and, you know, other protein suppliers. And there was this brand called Gorgeous, which was the innovator. They were the first people to do pre-cooked burgers. Um, so I left them for uh, a different opportunity and spent about four years there working on, on, on quick to fix foods, which was known for country fried steaks and pre-cooked burgers and things like that. So, and then funny, they go and sell them and then, Fast forward again, they end up buying IBP and here they are back in the business again. So, you know, it's kind of full circle. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. No kidding. How did you get to where you're at today? You know, was there anybody who helped you along the way? What was it that you got you to your position? Wow, that, that's a that's a really great question. And I, I think about this a lot. And and really, it's a pretty easy answer for me. Schwann's, I spent almost seven years there. And back then, they were, in my opinion, probably one of the best training companies out there. They, you know, they really invested in their people and just understanding finance, uh, you know, how to go to market, you know, things like that. One gentleman, actually two men, gentlemen in particular, one was John Brown. Uh, he was the head of, of, of food service for Schwann's, uh, very instrumental in my career. Uh, you knew where you stood with John, very pointed, you know, just an extremely knowledgeable guy. And then his uh, boss as well, Tom Karen. Tom is no longer with us, but uh, those two were very influential. You know, and I was young. I ended up running a, a, a division for them at age 22, running about a $30, $40 million company. So, you know, 
And again, it's just my DNA. I grew up on a farm. I mean, my work ethic, I believe, is really strong and just the strong desire to succeed. And I was just given a great opportunity from those guys who believed in me and especially at a young age, Nick, uh, to keep, you know, progressing my career. Yeah, you don't hear that too often, a 22-year-old running a, you know, a division yeah. uh, or even a company. That's pretty impressive. Yeah, and again, like you said, 35 years, fast forward. So, you know, so again, I count my blessings there, but uh, I do owe my, you know, career a lot to that organization. They were they were so buttoned up on what they do. What did their sales, you mentioned their sales training program. What did that look like? Yeah, well, like you said, nothing like, you know, this strike force role, nothing like rolling up the sleeves and, and, yeah. and learning it. And I, and I keep referring to old school because even though 35 years later with all this technology, I still believe a lot in that old school stuff. I still think some of that applies, uh, Nick. You know, so so their, their training program was just get out in the field, learn how to manage a broker, watch it through somebody else's eyes, mm-hmm. figure out what's working, what's not working you know, bring you back in at a corporate level, go through finance classes, P&Ls, profit margins, you know, from a distributor, what they need, how to back into things to sell price, you know, for an end user to continue to make their margins. That was all done in a classroom setting and also in an infield. So those two combined. So uh, very solid. Wow. Do you see on the whole, you know, food companies having programs like that? Ooh, you know, the, the big, I'm, I'm with a mid cap company now. Um, we yeah. do about a billion in sales, which is pretty sizable, but yeah. you know, our, the biggest competitor is doing five, six billion. So we're, we're kind of at that mid cap. You know, I, I think the big ones, the Tysons of the world, the Smithfields and all that, they're, they're what I still call your vertical matrix companies. I think they spend a fair amount on resources like that. Um, I think the smaller ones, maybe not so much. And then I like the mid cap like us. And then again, I'm kind of getting off a little bit here, but what I love about Midcap and why I love the company I work with so far is we're thin, we're lean, we're mean. It doesn't take 30 days to make a decision. You know, and again, that's nothing against those big companies because I've been in those environments. But I think it's those companies will, uh, that are out there that are mid-sized caps, uh, Nick, we're, are always going to have an opportunity to succeed. Yeah, for sure. That the reason I brought that sales training program up is I was like, you know what? <clears throat> we need to have something formalized for our company. And we've actually been building that out of everything from how to tie your shoe to close the sale. <laughs> okay. you, you know, we really like train our people because when we look at our as a sales organization, if we look at our PL, our number one line expense is salary, salespeople's salaries. So right. it's like we have to constantly cultivate their skills to make yeah. to help them and sell more. Yeah. You just jogged my memory on, you know, what did that sales training look like? You know, again, rewind 35 years. We actually sat down and added to sit down at a white tablecloth. They showed us, you know, where the fork goes, what one you eat from, where the glasses. And that was, I mean, that was part of the training. I mean, you know, now here we are on Zoom, you know, working from home. I got uh-huh. jeans on, maybe shorts you can't see, right? Um, right? You know, and that's that's how it's all forwarded. But yeah, that, that training. So, you know, and I think there is a lost art there. So, you know, by you emphasizing that, Nick, is, uh, you know, you sometimes I think you just go 100 miles an hour and don't really think through some of those mm-hmm. training things. I think a lot of companies fall short, too. And I can only speak to my experience is, you know, you bring in somebody, maybe they're an A player, and but you don't, 
you just say, here, here's the keys and, and go ahead and get in the car and start driving and yeah. didn't teach you how to drive the car. Right. And that, uh, that really resonates with me because when I built, when I came here 10 years ago and built this team and, and I love your analogy of a players, cause I always want a players, right? It's not that you always get them, but I do have, I think I have the best team in the industry. I consider yeah. them all a players and you're right. You hand them the key, you give them just enough to be dangerous, but they're so good at what they do. And quite honestly, if I reflect on it, there's probably more training we should be doing. I should be doing, uh, but it all—you're you know, right. If you're bringing in young talent, which again, I think there's a big, big void in this industry. Mm-hmm. You see it, I see it. I go, to, I, you know, I sit on different conferences, committees, and and still go to some of these big conferences, and it, it's it's no secret. And this might be on other podcasts, and I haven't watched them, but you look around the room, Nick, and I don't see a lot of you around. You know, I'm 56, 57. And if I see a 46, 47 year old, I'm shocked. I mean, so, you know, it's somewhat alarming to me on, on just that next generation coming into the food industry. And, and I know it's, it's, you know, people have brought it up before. I know I belong, we belong to IFMA and, you know, it's on the radar of people, but yet I still haven't seen a lot of traction out there from that. Yeah, definitely. I, I definitely see that. You know, there aren't a lot of people my age within the food service sales side of the business. And even the decision makers, sure, they, you do have some younger people coming through, but right. you don't see it too much. And how will that, you know, how will they make decisions in the future? The millennials and the Gen Zs, you know, we're all on social media, online, yeah. we want answers immediately. You know, that's right. just part of our generation. Yeah, right, right, right. Well, what do you see in, like you said, in your organization? That, that's why it's so cool. I'm, I'm excited to be on this because, like you said, I've been doing this 35 years. I don't see a lot of brokers doing exactly what you're doing, Nick. So, you know, applaud to you. And, 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 you know, that is your generation, right? So how is that going to transcend into, you know, the next 10, 15, 20 years? What does that really look like? Yeah, I know. It'd be interesting to see what that looks like. I I think there could be more education around food service as a career uh, in school. Coming out of school, you know, it was can you get in the legal field or the medical field and the technology sales side? Uh, you know, none of those things really resonated with me. Yeah. And I was thankful to have my, my, or grateful to have my dad who got me into food service. But without him, I probably wouldn't have joined this industry. I wouldn't even have really known it was a thing. Yeah, yeah. And that's fascinating too. Uh, I just dropped my son off uh, yesterday to the University of Nebraska in Lincoln and he wants to go into business. And you know, I just, and again, you just try to let your, you know, kids get their own path and runway. And, and I don't, you know, talk a lot, but he sees a lot of what dad does. And, and I, if truth be told, I think that might've influenced him a little bit that, Hey, I see dad doing this. I do like the business arena. Now, will that be in food manufacturing? Who knows? Right. So what is your current role look like? What are some of the things that you're working on? Yeah. So, you know, chief revenue officer is really chief commercial officer. It's kind of the same thing. You know, when, when I came here 10 years ago, was, I love telling this story because here's this diamond in the rough company that's been around since 1908. My God, 100 and yeah. whatever, can't do math, 20 some years old. <laughs> and it's vertically integrated and they're selling, you know, a center of the plate core item. Mm-hmm. And, and, and if, if I may, I guess I'll kind of share the story because when I was recruited over here, um, the headhunter called me and, and, and I laughed because I live in Minnesota and ironically, Bongards, Minnesota is seriously only 10 minutes from where I live. And I run the circles of food service. And, and, and so when the headhunter called, it says, here's this company, Bongards, have you heard of them? I'm like, yeah, I don't see them anywhere. I'm like, I'm thinking they're 50, 60, 70 million. No big deal. Right. And I'm yeah. like, I actually declined. 
And she kept bothering me, kept bothering me and, and just said, you know what? You only live freaking 10 minutes from him. Go meet with the CEO. So I did. Long story short, Nick, uh, as I mentioned, here's this quality in vertically integrated dairy co-op. I grew up as a farmer. We're owned by about 230 of the hardest family you know, dairy farmers. It's hard to be a dairy farmer. You can't leave the farm. You got to milk the cows twice a day, sometimes three. And it's hard to have a life, you know, especially your generation. We're close to the metro. So, you know, do I want to do that? Or, you know, can I go into the city and do this, you know? So mm -hmm. we're up against that. But anyway, you know, fast forward, you know, here we are 10 years later when we, when I started, the company was doing about 108 million pounds in volume and we're up to almost 400 million pounds. So, and we base everything in pounds because dollars don't really mean a lot. If you're mm -hmm. going to judge true growth, because we're a commodity, you got to look at the pound sales. But here was this company. They just didn't know how to go to market. They had a you know, broker network that were only one, two man shows. You never even really heard of them. I met with people like Burger King and, and Arby's and that. And they're like, who's Bungards? And I'm like, oh my God. So this is like taking, you know, candy from a baby. So yeah. all I had to do was plug and play is, you know, I upgraded the sales team, you know, found the great broker work network, which by the way, you're part of it now. Yes. Um, you know, so we upgraded all of that and and we've just reaped the rewards of that. So it's fun. I'm, I'm proud to say that we're probably the second largest processed cheese supplier in the United States. Most people aren't aware of that. Probably shouldn't be putting that on the podcast because I like running under the radar, but, uh, <laughs> um, you know, but it's, it's a great, it's a great success story. And it really resonates to me because who doesn't love dairy? I love cheese. Everybody, most people love cheese and I love supporting 230 hardworking family farmers out there. So it's a great yeah. story to tell. You mentioned hiring a great team, hiring brokers around you. What other tactics did you use to go from a hundred to 400 million pounds? That's a pretty that's a pretty yep. large jump. Yeah, and you know what? It's and I, I use this analogy a lot. It's that rifle approach versus the shotgun approach. We know what we're good at and we know what segments we're good at. As an example, this is kind of broad, but we're laser focused, and you'll know this, Nick, because your company works with us, is you know, I have a VP of C stores. If you want a C store expert, I got him. That's all he does. Mm -hmm. uh, we have a director of K-12, that's all she does. I have a VP of national accounts. That's all he does. I have a director of industrial accounts. That's all he does. So, so we really micro you know, cog that segment. Not, and this ain't earth shattering news. A lot of companies do that, but we're so laser focused in those segments, Nick. That's why when, when we meet with you as our broker, we're like, Hey, if you got somebody playing in the C store arena, Mike's your guy. If you got somebody in K 12, Jill's your girl. And so that has just done and served us very, very well. A lot of times I get manufacturers that reach out all the time. You know, they, they reach out via LinkedIn or our website and they're looking for a broker and they don't really, you can tell that they don't know where to start. What was some of the techniques or strategies you used to hire brokers and find them? Well, it's like anything. You have to have people believe in you. Uh, mm -hmm. It's kind of like when we interviewed your organization, you know, early on, because, you know, we weren't the five, we weren't the Shrivers of the world or the craft of the world. So, so we, all I have to do, and it's the same way with my salespeople is show them the vision. And, you know, the vision is, is, is pretty simple. It's center of the plate. It's extremely big category. There's limited competitors out there, ironically, uh, in this particular segment. And so, once you share that story and sitting down and, and they, they can see, yeah, this is a company that I can truly grow. And because a lot of like a lot of those brokers we bought on Nick, some of yourself are it's virgin territories are very limited income. Yeah. Not a lot of brokers these want a day want to 
quote, pioneer anymore. And that's fine. I get that as well. I mean, you're in the epitome of that market. I mean, driving in LA is freaking nuts, right? You know, (laughs) you got to schedule all your meetings. Okay. I'm in Orange County one day and then I'm in, you know, Santa Barbara the next day. It's a very capital intensive market. So it is. um, So anyway, so, you know, just laying out that vision to the brokers, you know, because, you know, because some of them we pay significant money and some were small, but they got to significant money. So mm-hmm. uh, that then again, that's the fun part. So, yeah, the, no, that makes sense. What about looking out into the into the future? You went from 100 to 400 million pounds. What's maybe the next goalpost that you're trying to hit? Yeah, that's a really good one. Um, you know, if you look in the dairy, it, you know, processed cheese is, you know, small growth you know, very limited growth. Um, natural cheese is off the charts, Na- you know, and that's an area that we've been growing in, but uh, um, we take our vertical integration model and we'll send that over to what is known in the industry as converters, um, you know, and they'll convert our 40 pound American style blocks into shreds or to, you know, slices or cubes or, or whatever. So, you know, so we're, we're strategically looking to expand our natural not again, not that we aren't processed. I mean, it's a big category and it is still growing, um, but we see a little more upside on the natural side of things. Uh, so we're focusing some time and energy to, to grow those segments. And then also as a byproduct, uh, Nick, we haven't mentioned a lot. Usually we're a big whey provider as well. Uh, but when you produce so much milk, you only get so much whey. So typically, you know, that infinite amount of uh, or that finite amount of whey is pretty much already pre-sold unless we expand our milk, which by the way, we just made a major announcement. Uh, we're doing a $125 million expansion to our natural plant that's going to take us roughly from four and a half million pounds of milk a day to almost six million pounds. So, so there'll be more runway for us and that works its way down to more processing capabilities, to more natural capabilities. And so that that's our frontier. And, you know, we're still growing domestically really well and our international business is growing very well as well. So, so we kind of got a nice peg there. If there's anything Bond Guards is missing is we're not the retail company. Mm. You know, so that's a segment where, boy, you got to invest some heavy capital because it's, it's all packaging, you know, and, and, and like you said, if we're going to go down that route, that's going to be a whole different play for us if we want to try play in that arena. So we talk about it, but most of our resources and capital are really going to, to the food service and international side. You've mentioned the international side. Is that something that falls under you? Yep. Yep. So yeah, so it does. And, and I don't have an international sales manager. So it's a, it's, a, it's my customer service uh, lady and myself are kind of running that. And we feel, you know, and then again, here's another thing with technology, right? So we have a very robust website. We get pings all the time and it's crazy what comes from international and you really have to decipher because every country, different laws, sorbic acid levels, you know, we got to be registered there. We got to protect our brand. You know, it, there's a lot that goes into it, but uh um, but there is a lot of opportunity there because a lot of the rest of the world loves, really loves American cheese. They love mm. American cheese. Wait, what do they use it for? You know, like if you go like our biggest market is South Korea, you know, they have like rice. You should go over there with me. <laughs> um, you know, they have similar concepts where they're doing like rice burgers and, and that, you know, like going on a burger, right? Um, you know, just different applications. Of course, they love American concepts. So you'll see a lot of the Burger Kings and the Paneras and five guys of the world. So that makes its way in there. But there's just a growing appetite for and a love affair with with American dairy. So, uh, you know, whether it's, you know, Asia, you know, that area. And even now we're we're getting all kinds of, of traction over in Saudi Arabia and the Minya area. And, and you know, so it's 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 pretty cool. 
Yeah. You mentioned whey. It was funny, growing up, my dad used to represent Tyson Foods. Yep. And he said when it came to those chickens, they found every which way to sell every single part from the blood to the feathers to the meat, everything. Yeah. And it sounds like that's what you're doing similarly with Yeah, dairy. it's that verdict. And again, I did work for Smithfield, so I can relate to what you're saying. Everything on that that pig got used. It's absolutely crazy. Some stuff that <laughs> Americans, some stuff Americans wouldn't try, but it, there was a market for it in China or you know somewhere in Asia, but uh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Question for you. Yep. For somebody that would one day want to be a chief revenue officer, what advice would you give to them? Uh, let's say they're starting on their first day at food service. Yeah. Well, never stop learning. Um, that, that's probably, you know, even at age 57, it, today I learned more things. And so if you have that appetite and can, you know, objectively look at yourself and, and critique yourself, um, you know, I, I remember when I was 21, 22, full of piss and vinegar, you know, going to take on the world, knew everything, right? Um, you know, and that just changes over time, experience and, and all that stuff. But, you know, I, I would say learn from people. There's so many, many knowledgeable people, like I mentioned, John Drown, Tom Karen. Just be a sponge on those folks, even your dad. I mean, there's so much knowledge base out there. And again, even at 57, when you think you know it all, there's so much more for me to learn. Like I said, international is kind of the new way for, for myself. So, and I just be very open-minded and more importantly, do like you and I are doing. Even though I know this is over technology, you know, pick up the phone and talk to you. The society to me, and I'm kind of getting on Pandora's box here of living behind a computer you know, looking at your phone and I'm just as guilty. I don't want to put myself on a pedestal, uh, Nick, but I tell my kids, if you can pick up the phone, talk to Nick as a human being and a person, you're going to already outflank 75% of your competition. I really believe that. Even though you tell me your generation is so into Instagram and, and all, I mm -hmm. believe that. And I think that'll stay there. But I still think the, especially in the food service area, that human interaction, that does not go away. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. It's funny, when I first started in food service back in 2015, I was sitting there, we had a little office, I think it was like two or 300 square feet. I remember I was, it, I was there. <laughs> yeah, that's right, you came, that's right. right. And, and I was sitting behind a desk just sending emails and my dad's like, what are you doing? I was like, I'm trying to get appointments with, you know, with chefs at, at some local colleges and whatnot. He goes, no, no, no. Yeah. You need to pick up the phone and actually call somebody, even though you went and got a business degree. They right. never tell you how to speak to adults. You need to get out there and do it and talk to people and fail. And yeah. Uh, and he said, there's no books on how to be successful either in this industry. It's just, you have to learn by doing. And that was kind of what started this whole podcast idea. He actually had the idea okay. about a year ago. Yeah, he's like, this could be the book, you know, to teach people on how to be successful in this industry. Yeah. So did you find that intimidating then? Obviously you're shooting out emails and that's easy to do, but when you actually had to pick up the phone and say, Hey, John Doe was, you know, was that yeah. hard for you or, or what was it that? Was. Like? Yeah, it was. Um, I think what I first started was, with was I went to Pacific Coast Highway here, like it, from Laguna oh. down to Newport, down to Huntington. And I would just walk up and down the street. Cause you know, there's tons of little cafes there yeah. and go yeah. in and I had a, a bag of, you know, some, some different types of waters and yep. pre-made sandwiches and things like that. And that was how I kind of learned to get comfortable talking to people and trying yeah. to sell them something yeah. and just learning the vernacular as well. Yeah. What's a distributor? How can they buy it? You know, things like that. Yeah. 
So did some of you, well, I welcome you in and some of you say, Nick, get the hell out of here. I'm busy. It's lunch hour or whatever. I'm sure, I'm sure you got a hodgepodge of stuff. Got a hodgepodge of stuff. I think one of the biggest challenges I had initially was trying to find the decision maker. Okay. A lot of times you just talk to somebody behind the counter, especially at these smaller places, or you could get the owner who's standing there. But I think it was yeah. trying to navigate and find those people. Yeah. And then those who said, yeah, I want to buy this. I could never figure out a way to actually get them uh, yeah. the product. You know, Cisco and US yeah. Foods, it's hard to throw a, a big yeah. glass bottle drink on the truck. Yeah. You know, it's funny you talk about training, and 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 now you you just hit another spot. I just thought of back at Schwann's, you know, the old Miller Hyman training, and and that still holds true today because yeah. you know, let's say we're trying to sell Cisco San Francisco or Cisco LA, and it's crazy when you start org charting who reports to who, and you actually put that on a piece of paper, it just becomes so clear. I mean, you because you you want to deal with the economic buyer, right? The old classic right. training, you really need to figure out who's pulling the strings here. And so, yeah, a lot of them just kind of go through that motion. But if you actually take the time and say, okay, Cisco, San Francisco, or if it's just this local chain or an even independent is the, you know, is the mom, the buyer is the dad, the buyer, the sister or whatever. And if you can figure that out, it certainly makes the, the time frame of the sale go a lot quicker. That's right. Especially when you have a built in uh, relationship with that person. Right. Yeah, for sure. In the past few years, have you had any new like beliefs or behaviors or habits that you feel has most changed your life? Ooh, I can. T- yeah, this is a word I say I never want to bring up anymore. You know, here's the old COVID word, right? Yeah. Um, you know, there is a lot of positive takeaways from COVID, even as brutal as it was. And I've seen everything. Uh, you know, I had a junior in high school that went from straight A's to, you know, quite frankly, flunking almost every class. You know, I, I think, long story short, is I think an aha moment for me is really, you know, stop, smell the roses, Nick. Uh, that still does resonate. Here we are now kind of back into normal mode. I've seen my travel pick up. Uh, I re- did really relish those couple years of just time with my wife, kids, better conversation. You know, so that, that to me, it, it, I think we have to you know, maintain that you know, or at least not let go of it. I think that's why there's going to be, when it's all said and done, I think this hybrid model is really what's going to shake out of it. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, we're, we're human beings. We need to be with each other. That, that's got to be there. And so, um, you know, so that to me was kind of a, a, a life altering. Hopefully I won't get to go into the speed that I have, I'm used to because life's too short. I mean, yeah. we've, we learned that through COVID and I think priorities have changed. You know, people are still sitting on the sidelines. We're having hard times filling our plans with workers. And I think a lot of that attitudinal thing and just realizing things have changed the way people look at life. Yeah. Yeah. COVID really did change a lot, especially in the food service industry. We were really impacted because so many, you know, restaurants and food service operators were closed down. It was tough. And, but you're right. It did. My experience was similar. You know, I got closer to my wife and my friends and my family uh, because work kind of just slowed down. There wasn't, I can't go make a sales call to somebody who shut down. What are they going to buy from me? Yeah, yeah. And there's got to be a balance there. I mean, this country was built on sweat, blue collar work. And, you know, people are floating out there four day work weeks and they talk about the Europeans with eight weeks of vacation. (laughs) And every culture is different. I mean, this, this country... 
you know, was built from blood, sweat and tears. And, you know, obviously generations, it keeps evolving and, and keeps changing. But, uh, you know, like you said, I, I can have the shittiest day and, and you might have to have that, edit that out. But, you know, I say this with my team, Nick, at the end of the day, we're selling cheese. That's really? Right. I mean, I'm not trying to, you know, put the rocket on the moon or be Elon Musk and do this. I mean, we make cheese, we make it well, but at the end of the day, we're not perfect. The cuts might be wrong. The color might not be, you know, we might misprint the box. We might put the wrong cheese into something, but at the end of the day, we're just selling cheese, Nick. Yeah. That, it, it's so true. There's so many people I wish I could just tell, uh, you know, say we're just selling food. We need to take a breather. It's not yeah. open brain surgery. It's just food. Yeah. That's the <laughs> other thing too, right? Um, you remember the old adversarial relationships that seem to happen between who owns the end user, the distributor, manufacturer. Yes. That's the other thing on COVID. I, and maybe it's an age thing too, but, and I've seen it with younger people such as yourself. It's kind of that attitude. It's like, okay, I'm working hard for you. I'm doing it. Give me a break. You know, and so I, I've seen kind of a more laissez-faire type attitude, right, wrong, or indifferent, but people aren't quite as rattled as much. I mean, it, so it, I've seen that change and shift. Now, I don't know if it'll ever go back to that way because I, I see it. Some people like, whatever. I mean, we're doing the you know best we can, and I don't want to say take it or leave it, but I think sometimes that's what's coming out, you know? Exactly. You're right. It has... I think there's there was a lot of people prior to COVID. You know, there were tough business people to deal with, but a lot of them, their their attitudes have changed, or they're not in the industry anymore. It's like, what happened? Yeah. COVID did change a lot of different things. Oh yeah, and, and and as us as a manufacturer, I mean, we as we should be doing anyway. We're always looking at our you know top customers, profit wise, margin wise, and things like that, and. Uh, you know, there's some that you have to work really hard with and you really got to question yourself, is it really worth it, Nick? That's you right. know, if he's going to, or she's going to, you know, hammer me for a quarter penny or half a penny and I haven't conveyed Bungard's worth, whether it's customer service or trucks on time or fill rates, then all for what, right? I don't want to get right. beat up. Go, go <laughs> buy from my competitor. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. When you look back at your career up until this point, is there anything that you would have done differently? Yeah, that's another great question, Nick. I think I I probably would have toned my style back a little bit more. Like I, you heard me say, when you're 18, 19, aggressive, full of piss and vinegar, your DNA is type A. You know, but again, that's where learning and education came in from mentors, you know, where they you can take constructive criticism. And, and like you said, even at 57, I still like constructive criticism. I think I'm still man enough to, you know, hey, if I, if I didn't address it right or if I offended somebody, um, you can still do that. So, you know, and again, that's hard to do. When you're, when you're in sales, it's kind of most people are going to be extroverted and it depends on how driven you are. I, I think I, what I would have did a little bit different is maybe just tone my style down just a little bit, you know, back when I was in my, you know, 20s and maybe even early 30s. Yeah, no, it makes sense. What have you, I got a fun one for you, and this will be a head scratcher. If you had the attention of the whole food service industry, what would you, what would you say? Well, in today's environment, I would tell them that, to, to treat everybody with respect. Yeah. And, 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 and try, I mean, now we're going off a different slope. Uh, you know, the, this country is so divided, and I really don't think we are divided. Um, it, you know, at the end of the day, when you and I forget about the politics, you know, who, you know, who's right. I mean, this wedge that's been driven between people, 
is bothersome to me. It bugs me. And, and I just, I just wish people would cheat each other just more respectfully have been more open-minded. Just listen, don't jump to conclusions right away. We're fed a bunch of information, some true, you know, some not true, you know, just don't, I don't want to judge Nick right away. Stop, step back. Let me think about it. Let me research it a little bit more. So I would just tell our industry to, you know, just try to be the way I grew up. It, you know, I, I mean, we saluted people by, you know, sir, ma'am, her. I mean, again, this is, I, I kind of see that as old school because you see that changing, Nick. You know, I opened my door for my wife, my kids for, you know, for the opposite sex. I mean, some of that, that old school stuff, which I still think is just, the way society should be. And, and I think what's really changed that is right, wrong, or indifferent. I don't have it here in front of me. Thank God I put it away. The iPhone, the technology, those <laughs> are game changers for us, Nick. So you have to really ground yourself. Cause again, I'm not, I'm not a saint. I I'm sitting around a table or we go out for dinner and I look around and my wife's on her phone, my daughter, I'm like, why are we even out to dinner? And again, I do the same thing. I know. So, you know, so so there's those challenges. We, I've never we never even heard of mental health before. Some mm -hmm. really really big issues that are going on today, and you know, and I think that's byproducts of, of certain things. I don't think there's any going back. I mean, I love technology. I mean, every call I do now, I'm not on the phone. I'm zooming you. That's you know, right. even at my old age, so I can see you. I love it. I mean, normally I'd keep the camera off, but it's so normal now to to do that. So. So there, there's a balance. I don't know how I got to, you know, where your question was, but I just, I just think as human beings, I just wish we were a little kinder to each other and, and we're more cognizant of it and, 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 and try to quit dividing people. Yeah. Yeah. Because we have more in common than we have apart. Oh, absolutely. That's one thing I learned through COVID is, yeah, you can, you have feuds online, you know, on Twitter or on whatever yeah. social media. And then you, you go on the real world. I'm like, wait, people are talking to one another. They seem to be getting along. What I see on the screen is different than what I see. Out the yeah, world, real world. yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's and another good example of that is translation. You can send me an email and I read it totally different. I'm like, is Nick pissed off? And like, no, yeah. he didn't even mean it that way. That's why I love the human interaction of picking up a phone <laughs> or getting know. on a Zoom where I can see you and talk to you and, and get rid of the interpretation piece, you know? Absolutely. Right. Yeah. On the iPhone, you can talk into your, uh, you know, talk out a text message and then hit send. And a lot of times those don't translate correctly. I'm like, is this person really mad at me or are they totally fine? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Guilty as charged. I've sent it before and I'm like, oh, Siri didn't spell his name right or whatever. And I'm like, <laughs> you know, I'm just trying to go 100 miles an hour again, not paying attention to detail. And so, so yeah, you're right. <laughs> exactly. Well, Scott, I, I just wanted to say thank you so much for, again, taking the time to join me here, do an episode together. I really, I knew we'd have fun. And I, I, I'm glad I learned a, a, more about you that I didn't know. And so thank you for being open and vulnerable. I really appreciate it. Yeah, well, again, Nick, I appreciate the time. I, I think what you're doing as an individual and obviously, as your your broker network is is a different level, that's starting to transcend. So hopefully, we'll see a lot more of that, and hopefully, that'll help. Is because again, when I go for a walk, I love listening to podcasts. You know, I mean, so you know, maybe it's enough to drive. You know, you know, certain schools like the University of Wisconsin or or South Dakota, which are dairy schools. You know, you know, if you can just get the interest of other kids out there, like, hey, you know, food. This sounds unique and interesting. So I applaud you for 
for doing it and, and coming up on almost a year doing it. That's that's pretty impressive, Nick. So yeah, thank you so much, Scott. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Appreciate it. <laughs>